Amen. So uh, we are in Luke chapter 18. The Lord is on his last trip to Jerusalem and about to uh, lay down his life for us, to die for our sins. So as he's on his way there, um, he was uh, the last uh, the last biblical account that we had read over was uh, he was approaching Jericho and uh, now he's he's actually in Jericho. So um, as we're reading through these, uh, just understanding you know where we are, uh, what's going on here, and uh, we we had talked uh, last time. I I had um, I had taught uh, about the parable of a persistent widow and the persistence in prayer that is needed in, in the Christian's life. Uh, so important for us to be uh, in prayer and uh, not to be discouraged, not to be at a point where we, um, we, you know, the circumstances overwhelm us. And instead of bringing it, bring us and keeping us on our knees where the, 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 the true strength is to get through whatever it is. Sometimes those circumstances can kind of overrun us and we get to a point where, you know, we're not, uh, we're not, even praying anymore. Uh, it can it can be that you know we just get out of a, a routine of praying too. So that persistence in prayer that's how we get through things. That's how things change. So uh, the parable of uh, uh, the tax collector and and the Pharisee. And we talked about um, one man that went up and uh, exalted himself in front of God. You know when he when he presented himself to the Lord. So went to the throne of God in arrogance and the other couldn't even lift his eyes and uh the lord is explaining the difference between the two and to understand that that one of them was expected and accepted in the temple when they went to pray and the other wasn't so that the one that was expected to be there and and uh, accepted is the pharisee the religious leader but that's also the one that exalted himself in front of god but if you read the scripture and you're familiar with the scripture, we're to humble ourselves before the, the Lord and he will lift us up. So the, 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 the tax collector, the one that's known and, and hated uh, in Israel because he works for Rome and, and, and many of them were corrupt and they were stealing from, uh, from the children of Israel because they would say, okay, say your taxes were you know, $1,000. Rome only cared about getting $1,000 from you. But that tax collector had no one to answer to other than a chief tax collector. And they could say, no, your taxes are $1,500, pocket $500. And that's what was happening. So they were despised amongst Israel. And this man was known as a sinner, and he couldn't even lift his eyes. And he's beating his chest saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord says the, the one that went to the temple was unexpected there and unaccepted by man was accepted by God because of his humility in front of the Lord. And the Lord said that that man went down justified rather than the other. It's very important for us to understand just uh, because that Pharisee literally in his prayer as he's exalting himself in front of God is pointing to, uh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men, even this tax collector. Now, that's an awful place to be. Like, I'm so much better. I just couldn't imagine standing before God and doing that. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a level of arrogance that our hearts can sometimes get to, and, and we need to be sure that we're not um, being Pharisaical or being judgmental. Um, and, and I won't even go on that rabbit trail of judgment. Uh, we, we, are, we are not the judge, but we are fruit inspectors. And if we see something wrong, we, we can say that something is wrong. But uh, many times I've heard, well, uh, judge not, judge not, you know, outside of the church and maybe speaking with somebody who's not a Christian and say, I'm not judging you. But I know that we, you know, there is a judge and I don't want you to stand before him guilty 
that's a that's a, a way that we can share hey you know whatever this lifestyle or whatever's happening uh, is sin and I'm not going to participate in it and we can explain that we're not judging if anybody if we say something we just say hey I, I'm not I'm not sentencing you anywhere but what I'm telling you right now is that's against the will of the Lord so as we as we read through these I'm just kind of giving you a, a um, a layout of where we've been. And then uh, verses 15 through 17, we talked about the, the Lord blessing children. And uh, when they were being, when Jesus was being approached by parents that were bringing their children that wanted him to bless them, you know, the disciples are like, hey, hey, he's busy. He's busy. And he said, no, 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 bring them to me. And he's explaining that we, as we need to come to the Lord as children, believing in him and uh, willing to obey him. And that's that's where salvation is coming from. So very important. And, and we talked about Jesus did not baptize these children. He blessed the children. And we talked about that. I came from uh, you know, a Catholic background where you know, I was baptized as a child and I, I never made any profession of faith. I was just there laying there you know and and somebody threw water on me and you know that doesn't that doesn't mean anything of of rebirth in my life i don't understand what sin is um at that point if you look and, and we talked about every every biblical example of of, of salvation comes when uh, a man or woman understands that they're a sinner and they need a savior and that jesus is that savior and accepting him into our hearts and confessing with our mouth that's where salvation comes Baptism comes as, as, a, as a profession after that, as a public profession of the new life that we're living in Christ, that the baptism of the old person uh, has died and the new person has come out, that new creation in Christ. Old things have passed, all things have become new. That new creation in Christ, uh, it, that's why we have bap baptism does not save us. It is a, um, a public profession of our faith that we have been saved. So uh, those are some things that we covered and where we ended off. So now we're picking up in verse 18 uh, in a different setting. And in verse 18, it says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So uh, Matthew and um, Mark's gospel uh, indicate to us that this, uh, it's a, this is a young man. So what we'll see here is that he's a, a rich ruler, but uh, from the other gospel accounts, we can see that it's that's why in your in your Bible it may say um, Jesus counsels the rich young ruler. It's this it's the same guy. Um, so this man comes with uh, with a big question. That's a massive question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So we're we're going to read, and it's a, it's a sad story to read. And it's an eye-opening thing, but this man is is coming to Jesus because he's thinking about what happens after this life. That's a massive question that anybody who wants to share their faith with anybody that that God has given us an opportunity, we can just say, you know, what do you think happens after we die? And we can start, you know, then then we can be able to explain that you know there is a God that He created us, that He loves us, that He died for us, that we don't have to pay the penalty for our of our sins and and uh, and face uh, an eternity uh, outside of His presence in hell. You know that's that we can we can build up with that, but that that question and if you think about it, think try to try to imagine any conversation you've had with that and what answers have been presented either to us or, or answers that we have said, uh, it, it, first of all, if you don't know the Lord, and uh, it, you know that we have said before we knew the Lord, 
Like, how do we get to heaven? I think the the over uh, the overwhelming response, especially here in America, is you just got to be a little bit better than you were bad. You just need to cover those things. You know, whatever wrong was done, you need to do enough right to cover that. And as long as the good things I do outweigh the bad, then I'm going to go to heaven. And uh, heaven, heaven in and of itself, uh, I, I can go down a rabbit trail there. But the the question that's that's happening here, that's being asked here, is good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So we know about this man is he's rich, he's young, and he's in a position of power. But he still knows that he's lacking something, and he's asking, "How do I know that I can inherit eternal life? That you know, what shall I do? What shall I do?" The key word in this is, "What shall I do to inherit eternal life?" So the Lord ends up going and starts talking to him about, and the Lord quotes the the Ten Commandments. Now, if you break down the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with man's relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship with our uh, fellow man and woman. That's that's the those when when you're looking at these things. So when when Jesus answers, those answers come from the law, and this this man in that day would have known, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, so when when this man comes to Jesus, he says, "Good teacher, what shall I do it do to inherit the kingdom? Uh, inherit eternal life?" Look at verse 19. It says, "So Jesus said to him." Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So it's a great question that Jesus asks. Because I when Jesus would ask a question, there was it, it wasn't it wasn't like he was waiting for someone to give him the answer. Would, would you please answer me? Jesus always asked a question that makes you think. And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Especially in, in, in the Jewish culture, they understood that there was one good, and that was God. So when he says to him, well, you're calling me good teacher, and Jesus brings up the point, you know, Jesus doesn't correct him. Jesus doesn't say, I'm not the good teacher. He doesn't say any, anything like that. He, he literally just asks the man, you know, why do you call me good? And, and he's in that, he's asking the question to make the, the man think, but he's also not correcting the man. Now, if you think of the angels, the angels, when um, when they would come in front of, uh, uh, you know, anybody, uh, everybody's response is when you look through it, when, when they would see an angel in the scripture, boom, on their face and they're scared and they're like, no, get up, get up or, or, or ready to praise. No, 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 no. I, I'm a servant of God, just like you are. Stand up. I have a message for you. So Jesus, Jesus right here is saying, you know, there's one that's good, and that's God. So there's a declaration that Jesus is God. I've actually had conversations or heard conversations that, uh, that have happened uh, with people that have, have been members of cults, and they're saying, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I'm like, have you read the scripture? Have you, you know, those things. And I, and I say that, and I uh, sound like I'm being judgmental even saying that, but it's somebody who clearly has not read the scripture and, and looks at context and what's being, what's being said. It's the importance of, uh, of, of what Jesus says and, and digging into it and reading it. And he says it all, he confirms it all through the time, his time, and he says it several times. So, so Jesus doesn't correct him. And um, it means that he's, he's declaring that the man was correct. And, um, and so Jesus asks him, and, and he says, you know, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. And then he gives him the textbook answer that I think this guy was expecting. When he said, you know, good teacher, what, what, do I, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus gives him 
the textbook answer he's expecting. And, and he says to him in verse 20, it says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So the Lord goes in here, and he's talking from the, uh, the last six of the commandments. And he says to him, uh, uh, don't commit adultery, sex outside of marriage. You know, when you're married, you, you're, you're, uh, that intimacy is reserved for your spouse. So he addresses that. He also says, uh, do not murder. I think we all understand what murder is. Do not kill. Do not murder. Uh, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Don't don't lie. Don't uh, bear false witness against your neighbor and say that they did something they didn't do or that they didn't do something they did. You know, be an honest person, and uh, you know, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And uh, so he brings those things to this guy. And, and in verse twenty one, it says, "And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth." So these things that can be done, and the Lord lays these things out. And he's, he's, he's said all these things. And this guy says, all these things I've kept from my youth. And uh, I, I imagine, you know, not, not being there to see this man's, um, his countenance and everything. Uh, but it appears he's a very smart man. You know, if you, if you think of uh, you know, what this guy has, uh, and we'll talk about it here in a little bit, uh, he pretty much got everything going for him is what is what, you know, the world in America would look at and go, Hey, he's rich. He's in a position of power and um, he's young, you know, he's got all these things and the Lord's checking him off. So if he comes and he's, he's got a, a spirit of, of, of arrogance or whatever, he's like, all right, cool. Yeah, I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. You know, it, it reminded me of bingo when I was in school. You guys remember the game, you know, and, and you're waiting for, you know, B24 to be called out. And I remember as a kid, I'd always get frustrated. I don't think I ever won, by the way, ever, ever in my whole, like, whatever you, you know, second grade to sixth grade, whatever it is. I don't think I ever won at bingo ever. And, uh, and I remember just getting bugged every time I'd hear a kid go, yes, yes. Like everybody would do it together. And I'm going, I don't have that number. And you're, you're, you're nervous. And I, I don't know, this guy's maybe, maybe checking him off like a, like a bingo card, you know, where he's like, okay, I got this, I got this. I, okay. I'm, you know, things are, things are looking pretty good. And his response is, you know, all these things I've, I've done. And I feel like he was, um, he was ready to speak, ready to give, you know, as soon as Jesus gave him that answer, he was getting excited. He's like, cool, I've, I've already done all those. So, so am I good? And, and he says here, like I said, in verse 21, all these things I've kept from my youth. And then the Lord in verse 21 says, uh, sorry, 22 says, but when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. So the Lord knew the condition of this man's heart before the conversation started. The Lord knows this man. He's God in the flesh walking. He knows this man, and he knows this conversation is going to happen. And so when when he when they come up, and, and the, you know the Lord knows heart, this man's heart just like he knows our hearts. Very important for us to understand. The Lord knows us better than we do, and you guys know I've shared it a million times. Um, uh, he knows the number of hairs on our head. I share that with the kids upstairs, and they remembered it. I asked them last week. We were talking about it, and uh, uh, I, I just asked a question about it. And uh, one of the kids, yeah, he knows how many hairs we have on our head, and uh, and and uh, it's just a blessing to hear that. But the Lord is 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 knows this man so well that he's able to put his finger right on the problem in this man's life. So at first, the Lord addressed 
things that were from the second tablet, the, the six last six commandments, then the Lord goes to, but wait a minute, you have one that is more important to you than your relationship with God. And he tells him, you know, you know, you need, you need to sell everything you have. That money has become more important to you than God. That, that chief love, that chief uh, passion in his life was not God. It was what he possessed. So everything that he possessed was, was the God in his life. So he, you know, first commandment, I'm Lord your God, you shall have no other gods but me. And the Lord is able to, to, to share with him right there, you still lack one thing. You've got all these things. You've got everything going for you. Um, the, only the Holy Spirit can work this way. Only God can work this way. But he said, he said you only lack one thing. And, and Jesus says that he needs to leave it all, sell it all, give it away, and come follow him. And we see the response from this man. And uh, just to understand that, that God is, is gracious and he's merciful and he's faithful to us to point out the things that are harmful to us. If we know that how, how we're living or what we're allowing to stay in our lives is being harmful to us and it's, it's sin, and uh, sin, sin is disobedience to God. If, if you're not familiar with what sin is, it's disobeying the, will, uh, the Lord. And, uh, and if you need to talk about that afterward, come talk to me. I'd, I'd love to talk with you and say, hey, there's freedom from that in Christ. Let's pray and talk. But the, the importance of understanding how gracious he is, not that he's because if we look at God as as a angry God, that's just ready to you know push people off cliffs and zap them with a uh, with a lightning bolt or or whatever like that, you know, then then he's not he's not loving. He's not caring. But if you think what parent is going to let their child do something that's going to harm them, we grab them and say no or, or just a kid. We see a kid, you know, oh, you know. Kid walking somewhere, am I going to walk into the road? doesn't even have to be my child. I'm going to grab that kid and, and scoop him up and get him away. The Lord does that with our hearts because we're, we're, we're heading right for a cliff. We're heading right for complete disaster, and the Lord ministers to us and calls us out of those things. It's so important for us to understand that in his graciousness, grace is, is unmerited favor, it's what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And in God's grace and mercy, he ministers to us and calls out to us. So important for us to understand his heart. These things might be hard to hear for us. They might be hard for us in our lives. But understanding the, the other side of this, of walking with the Lord, is so much better than being in the bondage of sin. It's so much better. So much better. So there's no hiding from the Lord. You know, if you think of Adam and Eve, so if you go all the way back to the beginning of, of the scripture and you get into, uh, into Genesis and you, you look at the creation account and you look at the first two uh, humans on this earth and, and, and the only thing that they were told what they couldn't do was to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, Eve, being deceived uh, by Satan, grabs the fruit and we don't know there was an apple um but he grabs she grabs the fruit and eats of it and then you know her eyes are open she gives it to adam and his eyes are open and uh, they don't realize they didn't realize they were naked before but now they do and they hear the voice of the lord now they used to enjoy hearing the lord coming in the cool of the day but now that they had sinned there was a separation from god and they knew something's wrong. I gotta hide. I gotta jump in the bushes. There, it's foolishness to think that we, that we can actually hide from the Creator. But that brokenness of that relationship, 
So sad. David said in, in Psalm uh, 139, verse 23 and uh, 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. There be, if there's any wicked way in me, uh, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, that, that heart, you know, search my heart, whatever it may be that, that might be a problem. Ask God, you know, Lord, if, if, uh, if there's something going on in our lives and, and uh, uh, we, we know that we need to come to the Lord, then, then just ask God, help me. Help me to see, uh, you know, where I might need to be more obedient to you. You know, God isn't some distant being that we that we have to at some point hope to to reach by. Uh, you know, if you go back to the persistent uh, persistent widow, we learned that there was an unjust judge that didn't fear God and didn't care about men, and that that specific person was. Uh, bugged by a woman that was just constantly saying, hey, avenge me, avenge me. I'm dealing with this issue. I need your help. And we looked at that unrighteous judge, and that unrighteous judge could be pushed to do whatever that person did because of their persistence. But God loves us so much, we don't, we don't have to, like... I uh, hope that 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 we uh, that God's only going to hear us if uh, if we keep bugging Him. We're never bugging the Lord, and when we lay things at His feet, He hears them. And we we did a whole study on that. So if you want to hear it, you can just go on Facebook and listen to it or whatever. Um, uh, and, and it's important to understand that that unjust judge did what was being asked because of the persistence of that widow, just in in their face. God, so much more. And we looked at you know uh, a a. a a loving parent here uh, doesn't understand the, how how much more God loves us. Uh, that uh, we, being evil, can still good, give good things to our our children and, and to a kid. And and uh, it's so important for us to understand uh, who He is. So, Casey, I don't know if we got air conditioning cranking out of that. Would you mind um, checking that? Does it feel warm in here? It does. It does feel good. Okay. Yeah. I just. I. I it's, no, okay. If everybody's okay, it's okay. So sorry to break, sorry to break the study, but I, I just want to make sure um, I'm getting warm, and uh, so I just did. I just want to make sure everybody was comfortable. So, um, so getting back to this and understanding where this guy—he seemed to have it all. Like we talked about, he's rich, he's young, he's in a position of power. Uh, if we look at his life, it seems that he's moral. And when Jesus presents all these things to him, he can say, yeah, I've kept all these things to, since, in my, uh, since my youth, since I was a kid. So he seems to have all these things. The, the box is checked if you look at everything. Uh, but there's something he missed. And, and, and it's, un, it's important for us to understand that morality doesn't equal salvation. And if you need to look back on that a little bit more, you can go back to verses 9 through 14 uh, to understand uh, the parable of the Pharisee that, that morality uh, doesn't equal salvation. So, but he, he loves something more than God. And uh, we don't know uh, what about the riches. Was it the, the power, the luxury, um, the recognition, the, the pride that he had, the combination of all those things? There was something that he loved more than God, and that's what was keeping him. And when Jesus put his finger on it, he couldn't give it up. That's, a, that's, an, that's as sad of a story as it is because whatever that is, if we can't give it up, then that thing is more important than God is. And, and this, this guy chose to live in the bondage of, of, of what he thought was freedom and, and is not freedom. And, uh, and he, he, he went away sorrowful. He said this and it says, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Now, um, important for us as Christians to understand that 
the Lord was putting his finger on what was keeping this man. Are we all, and I, I, it's funny, I listened to a pastor and he's, you know, he just asked everybody, has everybody sold everything and followed after him? <laughs> you know, like nobody can raise their hand, right? Because we haven't, you know, we're not all called to just sell everything and, you know, just live out of a bag and go. You know, if the Lord does call an individual to do that, great. You know, the Lord's got a ministry for you, but don't ever feel uh, that, uh, you know, when you read this, like, I haven't sold my house. I'm not a Christian. That's that's not it at all. The Lord was putting his finger on what this man's heart, what was ruling in this man's heart, and it wasn't the Lord. It was his possessions. Verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches, and other gospel accounts say tr that trust in riches, to enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus addresses how hard it is for someone who trusts in riches. And we, we've, we've talked about that in, in past studies, so I'm going to continue on from here, uh, knowing that we've, we've kind of laid that. But we'll um, look into it a little bit more here. And he, he gives the example of putting a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, there's this weird folklore that, um, that has never been proven by you know, any uh, geological dig or anything. And you've heard Will talk about it here, that some people will make this a weird thing. Just like Will has, has shared with us, like, um, that uh, the children of Israel didn't really cross the Red Sea. They crossed the Reed Sea, and it was about 18 inches. Yeah, that's a great miracle to walk through, you know, wade through knee-high water, you know, uh, that, that all the world would fear that we walked through, you know, we waded through water. You know, just some of those things, the, the weird things that can be, that can be um, misconstrued by people that don't want to acknowledge who God is. So, but, you know, in this, a camel through the eye of a needle is exactly what he was talking. He was speaking very literally. You, to take a camel and put them through the eye. I mean, how hard is it to put a piece of thread through the eye of the needle, right? Especially guys. My my hands are like this, and I can't. You know, it takes me forever. I'll just hand it to my wife, and she'll, you know, take care of. Not that I do that a whole lot. I I don't trust myself with those. I I can't sew anything. I'm awful. Um, but but Jesus is addressing uh, something here, and he says it's uh, it would be like trying to fit. A, a camel through the eye of a needle. So that church folklore um, or, or, or secular folklore would say, well, that was just a, a gate that, uh, you know, uh, going into Jerusalem, that if somebody uh, somebody dropped their camel down, got them low enough, they could actually get the, the camel through. That's not true at all. No, there's no, there's no uh, historical data to back that up. Jesus is literally saying it's impossible. And if there's anything else needed, when uh, Jesus ends... This, what he says in verse 7, he says, uh, sorry, 27, he says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. He's making a point. It's impossible. So there's, there's no way to like kind of get around, well, hey, if you, if you do enough hard stuff, you can get there. No, remember the, the rich young ruler was asking, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What, what, check, what box do I need to check? And Jesus is like, you don't really need to check anything other than, you know, you need to make the Lord the chief passion in your life. He needs to be your God. These things here have taken over. So if you're going to do anything, you just forsake all that stuff and follow him. That's the importance of understanding that. So Jesus used this illustration uh, to inform those around him uh, and everybody in history uh, that riches are deceptive and uh, we should never trust in them over God. Uh, if you, if you know, you need to kind of do a back study and everything, 
chapter 16 addresses money uh, and how we're supposed to use it to bless others. Uh, that that um, that uh, where he calls it unrighteous mammon and being able to. I was at a funeral yesterday, and uh, a man that I I knew and loved uh, very much in my life that did a lot for me. Um, there was a point where my house uh, when I was 15, the house I was born in in Bucksport, um, my mom couldn't afford it anymore, and it got foreclosed on, so we just had to move somewhere. So we moved out to a trailer in Orland, the next town over, if you're not familiar with the area. Um, my dad was a chiropractor, so we had a, a big house because he had his, his practice in there, and eventually they got divorced. And my mom's trying to upkeep this whole house. We had five uh, kids, so seven of us in the house at one point, and got to the point my mom couldn't afford it anymore. So we lose the house, and we go out to this uh, – we're in this trailer – um, always provided for the Lord always provided for me. My, my mother and my dad, uh, both love me always provided for, but there was a point where, uh, shortly after that, there was a football camp and uh, I really wanted to go to, uh, down at Maine Maritime Academy, a turf there. And, uh, I don't remember the price that it was, but I asked my mom, she's like, I like, we just lost everything. Uh, I, I can't afford it, you know? And, and as a, as a young kid, I didn't understand it, you know, and I was pretty upset and, um, I told my buddy, I'm like, I know you invited me, man. I can't go. I can't go. And uh, uh, he's like, all right, all right. And uh, shortly after that, he calls me back and said, hey, um, my grandfather wants to pay for you to go. You're going to football camp. And I was like, oh. So this man this man passed away on Christmas Day, uh, this past Christmas. And um, I was he, – he has uh, a special place in my heart that, you know, uh, he was a barber in Bucksport. And I don't remember how much it was. I'm going to say $300. That's a, that's a lot of hair to cut, you know, and he used that to bless me. He used unrighteous mammon to bless me, and he has a special place in my heart because of how, how he loved me. And he, the guy showed up when I enlisted in the military. The guy shows up to my enlistment day. I was a recruiter and worked in the recruiting office for 18 years. I went from uh, being a production recruiter to a supervisor to the state superintendent, and I've seen so many enlistments from somebody uh, that uh, – that I, nobody showed up. This man, who's not my grandfather, poured his life, uh, his his love into my life so much that he showed up, and it was a big deal for him. He's like he couldn't wait to be there. Loved loved everything, and he was he went to my my uh, military enlistment. You know, he was somebody who invested what he had in those around him. But I, I heard an even cooler story, and uh, I don't mean to dwell on this for too long, but it's important for us to understand the proper context of riches in our lives, especially as Christians. This man, I knew of some, some kids that were poor uh, in the neighborhood and he was a new barber. And uh, he's trying to think of how do I minister to these kids? If they continue down the road that they're probably going to end up going on, uh, they're going to end up dead or, dead or in jail. So he starts pouring into these kids and um, they, they had a, uh, um, there, there was something to do. I'm going to mess up part of the story here, and I'm sorry, but there was something to do with uh, with a shotgun that he that the family had that he helped repair, um, which was you know a big blessing to them. And what he realized is, wait a minute, these kids, these boys like to shoot things. They're from Maine. They like to shoot things, uh, and kids love to eat. So he'd say, hey, if you guys go to church with us, you know, you can come to church. We'll feed you, and then we can go shoot some stuff afterwards. And he invested in his life. And this man was saying that that investment that that, that man did, whatever financial investment that man put in that, into that, those kids' lives, they're following the Lord now. 
at least the guy that wrote the letter was. I don't know about all his brothers or anything. I was so blessed to see, and I'm just sitting there going, yeah, we studied that in, in chapter 16, of using unrighteous mammon, money. Money's necessary, we talked about. It. It's not an evil thing. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Remember that. Um, and he used it to bless others. And, uh, you know, it, it comes to a point where it's, it's important for us to understand the proper proper use of money in our lives. Don't cling to it. And I just put it in here like Gollum. My precious. Remember Gollum from Lord of the Rings? My precious. He's doing that. You know, it's it, guys. It's just money. It's just money. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. When we die, it's not going with us. I mean, I guess it could be buried with you, but it's not going to like go into eternity with you whatever way it is. So um, it's just not going to go there. So keep money in its proper place. And uh, this man didn't. And, uh, you know, we are to honor God, God with our, our possessions and bless others. Um, otherwise, our hearts turn from him. I got two verses to share with you. Uh, for Psalm 62, verse 10 says, If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. First Timothy 6, verse 9 is the second verse. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, who drown, uh, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love, love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For such, some have strayed from their faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Doesn't sound like that. You know, I, I, I grew up and I'd hear songs of, of rappers, you know, more, more money, more problems. You know, more money. Yes, exactly. We, we you know, and I, guys, I'm not saying if the Lord has blessed you, uh, I, I'm not sitting here saying that if the Lord has blessed you with um, uh, financially that you're that you're going to hell. That's not it's the trust in money. It's that placing that money above God in our lives. I hope I'm, I'm, I'm properly setting that in. You know, it's thank you. Thanks. Seth. I got you. So that's important. It's important for us just to understand. Look, if the scripture is warning us against it, it's because it can happen. If, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And, and listen, listen to this one more time. I'm just going to read you. First Timothy six, nine says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. These are all bad things. I just want you to listen to this. Temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Sounds like bad things. Uh, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Keep money in its proper place. Don't let it be in a spot where we are sorrowful uh, if the Lord calls us to, to, to use it to bless others or whatever it may be. Verse 26. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impo that are impossible with men are possible with God. In that culture, and oftentimes in today's culture, riches are believed uh, by many to be a sign of, of God's favor. You know, oh, this person, this person's being blessed in their life. Uh, so uh, because they've got this, this, and this, they've got the newest this, they've got the, yeah, well, they're experiencing God's blessing. I've uh, embraced the Lord, and I'm wondering how I'm going to pay my light bill, you know, and, and I challenge you to lay that at the, at the feet of the Lord and see if he doesn't help you with that, and I guarantee he will. He provides for us. He's going to. But uh, unfortunately, we can look at things, and, and this can happen with, uh, and we're going to talk about it here um, 
at, at, I think it's going to be further down. Um, sorry, I've, I've been studying in a few different places, so if I seem lost sometimes, I, I get into notes for another another lesson. But important to understand that the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, and, it's, and that's from Hebrews eleven six. But um, the you can get into a doctrine that if you're rich, God loves you. If you're healthy, God loves you. If you're not healthy, or if you're struggling financially, God's mad at you. Or that the, the God, you're, you're not in the will of the Lord. You know, what did the Lord, I mean, I love that the Lord tells us that in our, in our weakness, he's strong. You know, and it, it's so important for us to understand that as we walk with the Lord and our lives are submitted to him, he's going to provide for us. He is going to. We can always trust in him. So the Lord is is a uh, so what he says here is uh, these um, I, I I jumped ahead in my notes I'm sorry uh, so in that culture they're believing hey uh, this this person here so the, the question is and those who heard it said who then can be saved so they believe that hey this person's good to go they're going to heaven you know they've got everything going and and if this guy if you look at his morality and you look at everything in his life. He's rich, he's powerful, he's young, and he says, you know, the morality is there. Well, who then can be saved? If this guy can't be saved, well, who can be saved? And Jesus makes a point, with God, these things are possible, but with, with man, they're not. What he's saying is it has to be a relationship with God for us to be saved. That's it. So Christians, for us, you know, we keep that uh, right on your tongue as we're sharing the gospel in love. You know, uh, you know just important for us to, to not not go around lopping off ears, but be able to share these things in love. So it is not, it, it isn't possible for somebody to be saved outside of God, but inside uh, the will of God, that's where salvation comes. Verse 28, then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. So he said to him, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus responds to Peter's statement here because Peter's saying, hey, we've left everybody and followed you. And, and Peter's like, so what, what does that mean? Can you, can you, can you expound upon that? And um, we, we need to understand and be aware of God's blessings in our life because what he's saying here is, you know, when we are when we're following the Lord, we're going to be so blessed uh, by the Lord uh, in this life and in the next that, that there's there's not going to be anything if we're if our minds are right that uh, that that's going to to trip us up and into believing that you know, the Lord uh, isn't providing for us or anything. So Jesus is talking about He's going to provide for us in this life and the next. And what's when He says here that uh, so certainly I say to you there is no one who has left all these things. And he says, uh, verse 30 he says, who shall not receive many times more in this present time. So it's important for us to understand this many times more. So as we have, have accepted the Lord and we're now walking with the Lord in our lives, we become Christians. We now have millions of brothers and sisters all over the world. We do. And, and I, I have something written down here on, um, as I was studying this, uh, that uh, that reminded me of, of a guy that used to lead worship at our church when we were uh, over in Italy. Uh, we were in, in Italy from uh, 99 to 2001. 
And uh, there was a guy named Mark that uh, led worship there. And I was like, I want to learn, what is this guitar thing? And I want to learn how to play it and everything. And in 2001, like the first day we got back into the States, uh, we flew in on whatever day. It was the next day after we, like, we woke up. We didn't really know what was going to go on. We're still waiting for household goods to get to Washington State. We went out and bought a guitar that day. You know, I was so blessed, but I, and I, I'd go up and I'd talk to him. I remember uh, this guy had a Ducati motorcycle. I'm like, that thing's awesome. I want to get one. And, you know, we'd, he'd always joke at me and go, you know, thou shalt not covet. I'm like, dang it. You know, so I, I like, I, but I, I enjoyed the guy. His name was Mark and his wife's name was Shiloh. So that's a, that's a, it's a, sometimes a hard one to remember, but once it's kind of stored in your head, there aren't a lot of people named Shiloh. And um, so what's really cool is um, probably two, three years ago, um, before I re- retired, I, uh, this guy's in my office and he's a retired officer and we're talking about things and, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, I used to be in Europe and, and we talk, Oh, so in Italy and, you know, just wondering if we ever cross paths. He's like, no, my, my buddy was in, in Italy and everything. We start talking and he's like, yeah, they used to go to Aviano Baptist church. And, and uh, I said, Oh, we, we knew some people, Mark. And, and I, I, I started saying Shiloh. He goes, Shiloh, like I never knew this guy. You know, and uh, they had just moved to Maine. Uh, he had lost his wife. He's got like five kids. So he's as a widower raising his kids now. And we're talking and we have a, co- a connection in the Lord to this worship pastor from 20 years ago. Uh, the, you know, this worship leader is just so amazing. And I'm talking, I'm like, you know, Mark and Shiloh. I'm like, they probably don't remember us, but I remember him, you know, because they, they left shortly. You know, it was too, too, too long uh, after we kind of got settled in at that church that they had uh, received orders to go somewhere else. So I was so blessed by that. But guys, I got a, a new story and a fresh one other that I didn't write down. So last night, uh, I've got to be short with this because we got so much more to go over. Um, when we got to Washington State in 2001, uh, we wanted to get connected to a church. And we ended up at this church, Calvary Chapel, Spokane Valley. And we were like, oh, this is cool. Smaller church like we're used to. And the whole message was about greeting people um, that that are new in the church. So we were the new ones. I'm like, all right, we'll see if somebody comes up. And uh, this this young lady comes up and starts talking to us and welcomes us into the church. And then her husband comes up later and he's eating something. And uh, well, I found out last night. So I'm spoiling the story. Um so we start we start talking to these people and uh, we find out they're about our age, maybe a year or two older. I'm 42, so our my I'll tell you how old I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. So uh, and uh, they're like, hey, uh, we're uh, we're from here, but we we just got back here from Maine. I'm like, you've been in. So my wife and I just came from Italy, and it's our first Sunday there. And uh, these guys, the 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 two people that come up to talk to us at church, just got back from Maine. And I'm like, from Maine? I'm from Maine. So we, we automatically have this connection. And they become some of our best friends over there. And uh, then when we left in um, uh, December of 2002, we've seen him once since then. It was like uh, uh, 2004 at a wedding. And so we haven't seen him in 18 years. I get a text from him a week ago. And he's like, hey, dude, I'm going to be in Bath. And uh, on, on Saturday, I'm, I'm driving my daughter from San Diego to Maine, Bath, Maine. So long story there, gas prices, everything, and he wants to visit people on the way. So he drives his daughter. Jen and I drove down yesterday, and we're so blessed to spend time with him. And so that was a connection that God put together from here to Italy to Washington. So there's all of that, okay? And they, they like, attended Calvary Chapel, too. So it was like, whoa, and then another one of my best friends. We met him that morning. 
And he just, he was here serving at a camp in Southern Maine with them. So not only that, so uh, they moved five years ago to San Diego. And uh, he's a worship leader uh, at that church. And as he is driving his daughter here, they stopped in um, uh, Central Park in New York City this week. He's from San Diego, and he's from Spokane, uh, Spokane, Washington, San Diego, moved there five years ago. Now he's in Central Park just walking through with his daughter just to check it out for a couple hours for the day. You know, they're checking things out as much as they can on the way here. He's walking through the park, millions of people in, in New York, and he hears, Jonathan? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. Jonathan, he turns around, and it's like, it is him. And it's these people that he knew from his church in San Diego that had moved to Texas and now in guys, guys, there's so much bigger of a family. So much like, like when we submit our lives to the Lord and we're following him and and we're going to talk about the context of of what he's saying here, but what we inherit in this earth is always going to be so much more than what we can try to cling to in our lives. Hopefully that, 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 that point is being made here. Jesus isn't calling Christians to abandon everybody. That's not what's being called here. That would that would be contrary to his other his teachings and 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 the, the, the scripture. You know, uh, Peter's wife accompanied him in his ministry. Paul said that it's a doctrine of demons um, to perfi- forbid people to marry. That that marriage is a good thing. Uh, you know that, that it's uh, we're supposed to be there. We are going to make sacrifices for the kingdom. Uh, God needs to be first in our life. So if you're hearing this, like, oh, hey, yeah, I got I, I was wanting to leave my wife anyways, so I'll just say I'm gonna like, you know, it's it's so weird, but that guys, I I say it, I, it kind of came out that way, but like people will do that, and they'll just say, nope, God told me to leave you, and I'm just gonna leave. You know, we we have a responsibility to care and 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 to to you know our, our ministry, our household should be in order. That's what the scripture's telling us. And it's just important for us to understand context. If somebody just reads that, they're going to go, "Oh, I was supposed to leave. Uh, I was supposed to leave everything, leave everybody I know, and just go out and do ministry." The Lord will call us, and when He does call us, I'm going to have the blessing of my of my wife to go somewhere for a month and serve the Lord and come back. The Lord isn't telling us to abandon the post that we've been given by Him and and just walk away from everybody. What that's going to do is that's going to produce uh, children that are bitter and want nothing to do with the Lord. So you gotta, we have to understand proper biblical context when we're looking at these things. As I was reading this and studying this, I, I, we're never going to regret our decision to follow Jesus. Can you imagine just like walking in heaven, kicking a gold rock down the street? Just, ah, I wish I wouldn't have served Jesus. You know, we're never going to be in that point. We're never going to be there. Just, just submit our lives to the Lord and his will and have him re- ask him to reveal his will to us. And he's going to. Verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. And they will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. Uh, this saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken of. So Jesus is, uh, once again, uh, predicting his death and resurrection. It's the third time. And Jesus takes the disciples aside. 
So he takes specifically the small group aside. And why? Because they were going to be the ones that were going to be used to spread the gospel. They needed to understand that in God's timing, they were going to understand the mission. And it was going to all make sense at a certain point. It says here they didn't understand, but they come to a point of understanding. I need to uh, be less less uh, long-winded about some other things and focus on, on these things. But um, understanding that these guys came to a point, they didn't understand it at first, um, but they came to a point after they did, after the Lord opened their eyes to, hey, you know what? He told us this all along, that these men were so unwilling to deny their faith that they were beheaded, that they were boiled in oil. Uh, church tr tradition tells us that Peter and his wife were both crucified upside down. They came, they came to know this. So even though it says that they didn't understand it at that time, they did come to a point where they did understand to all, and, and Jesus is saying all the things that were written about the prophet, uh, sorry, by the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. The, Jesus was on a, very much on a mission when he was here. You can watch History Channel and get so led astray. Don't do that. Read your Bible and you'll understand who Jesus is. And that's that's the historical record we want. Jesus wasn't here to to go, uh, you know, uh, act like things happen here and then have wives and kids running around denying the resurrection. You know, the, the History Channel can lead you astray like that. Time Magazine. Now, Jesus is here to accomplish a mission. I uh, highly, highly recommend that you take some time to read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 to understand what Jesus is talking about, the suffering servant. Uh, you know, Jonah, as Jonah was uh, in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. You know, Jesus, Jesus made it very clear that all this thing was happening and uh, that, that he was well aware of it. So some, think, some will think that Jesus was taken by force. That wasn't the case. You know, Ju Judas led a mob um, uh, and uh, turned to uh, the religious leaders and then to Pilate. Is, you know, so they led the mob. They get Jesus. They hand him off to religious leaders, then to Pilate. Where, that's where it says the, uh, the Gentiles. He obeyed uh, the Father's will and laid his life down. He knew the objective, how to complete it, and he did it all. Accomplished. These things that would be accomplished. The importance of understanding that Jesus Christ came here to accomplish something, to lay his life down, that to seek and save that which would be uh, that which is lost. Verse 35. I'm sorry, I need to back up. So he wasn't just going to be killed. Um, they didn't all understand it yet. We talked about that. Uh, it's about God's timing. If you remember in Luke 24, I'm going to read a, a, a quick verse, a couple verses to you. Luke 24, verse 25 says, um, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, a slow, a slow in heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Then they begged him, to go with them. So they're on the road to, to Emmaus in, in, in Luke 24. So there's some disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and they're having a conversation and, and Jesus is kind of like playing them up, playing up with them. No, I haven't heard anything. What's going on? You know, they're like, have you been living under a rock? And, and then eventually Jesus is saying to them, oh, foolish one, slow of heart. Didn't you, didn't you know these things to come? So they're enjoying this conversation and they beg Jesus to stay. Verses 31 and 35 of Luke 24 says, Now as he came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he stayed with them uh, after they walked and had the discussion. Uh, now it came to pass 
as he sat at the table with them, that they took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they said to him, uh, uh, sorry, then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked uh, with us on the road? While, and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who uh, were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen and indeed uh, appeared to Simon. And they told the things uh, about the things that had happened on the road and uh, how uh, he was made known to them. Uh, he uh, was known to them in the breaking of bread. After his resurrection, there were time, time of doubt, right? So Thomas, and that when I say the word Thomas, uh, the name Thomas, does doubting Thomas pop into your mind, right? We all give Thomas a hard time. Guess what? We can put our name in front of that, that we doubted the Lord, and we do doubt the Lord, and we have doubted the Lord, uh, doubted the Lord and hopefully we don't anymore. But uh, Thomas, you know, uh, if, if uh, the disciples in Luke, right before this, in Luke 24:10, when Mary and the other lady showed up after the tomb encounter, listen to this. Luke 24, verse 10 says, And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So when Jesus explained everything that was going to happen to them, and uh, it happened to him, and then he's, uh, and then it says there that they didn't quite understand at that point. They come to the point after uh, the road to Emmaus happens, and even after uh, Mary and the other women showed up, they were like, "They're telling this is, these are idle tales. You know, we don't believe you. You're lying to us." They did come to the point, and when they got to that point, it was undeniable faith because they had encounters with Jesus afterwards. They witnessed his resurrection. They got into such a point in their in their life. Um, uh, you know, these men uh, at the appointed time heard him. Uh, sorry, uh, understood what Jesus meant because they they understood his his rejection, his sufferings, uh, the crucifixion, resurrection, his return, and they testified publicly. And they were whipped. They were scourged. They were thrown out. Um, they preached to the masses, and they refused to deny, Jesus, to deny Jesus. That's how they ended up losing their lives, losing their heads. They didn't understand at that point, but Jesus had told them the third time, he's, he's going to die, uh, and he's going to be risen from the dead. I'm going to fly through this. We're, we're at time, but I'm going to uh, finish this chapter out, guys, okay? Um, we, have, we have one more account to read. Verse 35 says, Then it happened, as he was coming to Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. So they said to him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus of Nazareth, sorry, uh, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I would receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people who saw it gave praise to God. This blind man is sitting by the road, blind Bartimaeus, if you read uh, other gospel accounts, Bar, uh, Bartimaeus. He sit and he hears a commotion and he's asking what's going on. And when he hears who it is, he immediately cries out, son, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's calling out Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
That, that was a title. When he said, Son of David, he's, he's calling him that. Jesus didn't come up and say, hey, you got it all wrong. You know. So what ends up happening here is everybody's warning him to be quiet. Hey, be quiet. You're bugging Jesus. He's got other stuff to do. You, you just go on and continue on what you're doing. He was war it says he was warned. They, they weren't just like, shh. They're like, you need to stop. And what does he do? He cries out all the more because he knew his only hope was in Jesus. So he cried out all the more, and um, that's a very powerful scripture for us. That that uh, you know, there may be relationships, there may be an addiction that tells us don't call out to Jesus. There may be fear that that, that we shouldn't follow Jesus or peer pressure. You know, those things lie to us and are going to lead to destruction. Don't let anything stop us from coming to Jesus. With our fear, if you've accepted the Lord, with anything that we want to lay at His feet, just bring it to Him. If you haven't. Come to him. Don't let anything stop you. We can go to him for salvation, for help and need, for praise, whatever it may be. Don't ever let somebody keep you from going to Jesus. Ever, any, anybody, any situation, nothing. We go to Jesus. Because what happens? So everybody's trying to stop him. He screams out and he just he's just crying in desperation to Jesus. Guys, this is another very powerful thing. It says, if you look here in verse 40, the first four words say, so Jesus stood still. This man... The cry of this man's heart stopped God. One man crying out, desperately crying out, stopped Jesus in his tracks. Jesus, the Lord understands a desperate cry, just like just like that that Pharise, uh, sorry the, the tax collector uh, that was just, couldn't even look up. The Lord loves that that broken heart calling out to him, that desperate heart calling out to him. Don't ever don't if you feel that tug on your heart, just do it. Do it right now, you know. That's and share that, guys. As Christians, take that and because we never know, we never know if there's going to be an opportunity to share. I've had those situations, and I know that if anybody here has been walking with the Lord for a while, we've had those last conversations with people, and that the, they're gone, they're gone. Something happens to them; they they move away, they pass away, whatever it is, and we never have that, that opportunity again. Today is a day of salvation. Today is it. So one man, it's a, and he cries out and he gets God's attention. I love that Jesus commanded the man to be brought to him. So he's, he's, he's telling other people, go get him and bring him to me. It's very important to understand that, you know, God will not only move obstacles uh, so that we can get to him, but it will also help us through an obstacle to get to him. Just understanding when, when the Lord is calling to us, he's not going to call to us and, 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 and leave us searching. If you knock, the door's going to be open. If you seek, you find. That's that's the heart of the Lord. He's not cruel. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to put this great desire to know me, and you're never going to come to know me. So important to understand. So this man is healed. You know, in verse 41, it says, what do you want me to do for you? So that I may receive my sight. Verse 42 says, and he, um, uh, Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And we talked about this. Um his faith allowed him to be healed. Beware, and I just say uh, right here, it says, beware of a prosperity doctrine. We talked about that. It's heresy. It's false teachings um, that can destroy lives. You know, uh, we're all going to die. You know, at some point, our health will fail us, and we are going to die. It doesn't mean that we're cursed by God, that God hates us and is sending us to hell. Just eventually, sometimes we're going to go. We might die at a very young age. We might die at an old age. But someday, you know, we are going to die. So if we know somebody who, uh, oh, I thought that person was walking the Lord and that, that horrible tragedy happened to them. They must have sinned and now they're dying. Now they're dead. 
That's a that's an awful way. It's an awful prosper, uh, awful doctrine, and it's out there, guys. That's why I'm saying it. The 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 wealth and prosperity. You know, remember we already talked about you know the the wealth. You know, the things the the two things that I shared from uh, Psalm uh, Psalm sixty two ten and First Timothy six nine. Uh, you know, if riches, if riches increase, uh, do not set your heart on them, and then. Uh, all the, the the bad things that can happen if we uh, get into the point where we're trusting riches. So I'm wrapping up right now. So uh, one thing that this this popped in, uh, that popped in my mind as I was studying this is beware of popular and widely accepted doctrines. Something's new and exciting, and everybody's following after it. Examine it. Understand. Understand that this faith, this Christian faith, is six thousand years old. You know, uh, and then if you look back uh, since uh, the death of Christ, 2,000 plus years, um, you know, something brand new, like, whoa, whoa, I've never, you know, and that's sweeping the world. Be very cautious of it. You know, does it align with the word of God? So important. So God is glorified in this situation and, and, and praise is given where it's due. It says that this guy's praising God and everybody sees what happened in this guy's life. And and everybody's you know glorifying the Lord. So you know we can we need to praise God and and uh, for the big things in our lives. It might be salvation, freedom from sin, for healing that's happened in our life, or whatever those big things have happened. But I I, I was kind of um, I hate shopping for groceries. I absolutely despise it. And then when you get home, what do you do? You've piled it all in the car. Then you got to carry it all. You got to touch groceries like 19 times before you actually eat, right? And um, when you get home, you got to put them away and I'm putting them away. I'm, I hate doing this. And I'm like, Lord convicted my heart. It's like, I have a full cupboard and a full refrigerator. What do I have to, you know, like, oh, sorry, Lord. So praise him for our health, for the roof over our head, clean water to drink, having the, you know, cupboards and everything full. So I know I ran over 10 minutes and I apologize, but uh, I wanted to finish that spot. So uh, to sum up, God is good. He wants us to seek him in prayer consistently. Persistent prayer, uh, going back to the beginning of Luke 18. Uh, he's mighty to save uh, the most desperate and broken hearts as we cry out to him. He loves children. Uh, he calls out to uh, for us to trust him and not in riches. Uh, we can cry out to him and he hears. He's our risen Lord and he's coming back again. Those are important things to understand. As we look through all of this, he even said he was gonna, he was gonna, he was coming. He was going to die. And he was going to be risen again, and he is, and he is coming back. Amen. We can rest in that. Would you guys stand with me and we'll pray? Um, so I, uh, well, there was a very brief discussion before church. Praise God for the Roe versus Wade overturn. As a nation, um, very blessed by that, that as a nation, the Supreme Court saying this is not a federal thing. I need everybody to understand something. Be careful of the conversations we have from here. Because a lot of people are looking at Christians and saying, oh, you Christians got what you want. Oh, we're going to be about the unloved and unwanted babies running around. Understand that there are people in our lives that have gone through that. Please understand that. It's so important for us to understand that there are people that have had an abortion, uh, that, that feel the guilt and sorrow that comes with it. We can share that God loves them and forgives them and that they have newness of life in Christ. Guys, that's what needs to be on our heart. Because we can get so tied into a, well, we won, you lost, we won, you lost. By the way, states can are, are going to do what they're going to do, whatever. Guys, I'm telling you, as we move forward as Christians, love needs to come from us. 
And we need to we need to share in love because we can get in those online arguments just pounding the keys with a hammer, okay? Understand, understand that some people's posts about that are hurt-filled because they've been through that. We have to understand. We have to move forward with tender hearts, understanding that people have been through that and that their hearts are scarred from it. But we have to have, have on our hearts the gospel on our tongues to be able to share the redemption, the healing that comes from the, uh, from the Lord and that he can forgive and restore and you can move through life. And that guilt of that is no, it's all gone. It's gone and walk in newness of life as we walk with the Lord. That's my encouragement to you because as Christians, sometimes we can get arrogant and we don't need to be there. It's very important for us to be filled with love because what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love was the first one. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All those things, love. Love. People need to know us by our love. Yes, we need to make stands, but do it in love. Understanding that people's hearts may never be changed if we don't share the gospel at a time right now where we have the opportunity to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love your grace, your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your word, that, you, that you're that you so faithful to, to, to put your finger on our hearts and, and to teach us and to show us what we might, what might be hindering us in our life. Oh God, you love us so much. Help us to be obedient to your word, to carry it with us and to share with those around us. We thank you so much for it. Bless our time now, Lord, as uh, whoever is able to stay can, can be here with us in fellowship and, and enjoy a meal together. And those that can't, Lord, keep everybody safe on the roads. Bless, lead, and guide our lives as we leave here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.